Well, good morning. As Grant and Elle introduced me, my name is Jeff Jordan, and Grant, thank you so much for that prayer. Uh, I work with RUF at the campus of Mississippi College. This is my ninth year there, and every year that we y'all have hosted us for, for RUF Sunday has meant a lot to me. Uh, I want to thank y'all as a congregation for doing this every year. Uh, y'all's church uh, means a lot to RUF, uh, the ways that y'all minister, the ways y'all model for us ministry, the ways you love college students in our area and our, on our campuses uh, means so much, and I want to thank you for that. And if you have any questions or know anyone uh, that is connected to MC and want to talk to me afterward, I'd love, love to hear um, who you know there or how I can, we can be of service there uh, to you. Um, we are in Luke chapter 15 this morning, so if you want to turn in your copy of God's Word, uh, Luke chapter 15. In this story, we have two sons with the same father, and yet they relate to their father in very different ways. I know there are a lot of families out there, and you, you have children who relate to your parenting differently, so we can relate to this. And children, you know that sometimes you relate to your parents different than your brother or sister. And so in a lot of ways, this story touches on some some deep emotional undertones that all of us have. And while we read it uh, in a moment, I want you to be asking the question you see on the board. It says, and there was a man who had two sons. I want you to ask the question, uh, which brother am I? Which brother am I? And then the second question I want you to ask, it's more of a ministry and church-related question, how can we as a church have the same posture towards the repenting sinner that God does? How can you and I have the same posture towards a sinner that repents and turns to God in faith that God himself does uh, as, as the church? How can we mirror that love for those people who turn in faith? Now, in Luke, there, there are oftentimes two people in each story, and you're, you're called to ask yourself, which one am I? And in the Gospel of Luke and all the Gospels, as a matter of fact, there's a, there's a radical difference in the ways that some people respond to Jesus, to his message, to who he is. And this story uh, is going to get beneath the surface of what's, what's happening in our responses to Jesus. Um, and that's, that's why it's told in a story and a story the form of a parable, and it's, as I said, a story about a family. So look with me there in verses 11 and so on. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything." But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise, and I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. 
I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God will remain forever. Let me pray again for us. Father, we thank You that Your Word is truth. We thank You that Your Word teaches us about Your salvation for us in Christ. And we thank You that as difficult as it is for us to understand what You are saying to us, that Your Holy Spirit, You promise to send to us as we seek to understand Your Word. And we pray for this now. By Your Spirit, enlighten the eyes of our hearts. May we see this morning the destructive power of our sin. May we see it in the story of the younger brother, in his abuse of freedom, in his abuse of pleasure, in his desire to be autonomous and independent, and the sadness it brings. But Father, may we also see it in the story of the older brother, whose legalism and self-righteousness keeps him from a relationship with his father. Lord, may we see these two sins and see their destructive power, but may we also at the same time and by Your Spirit, see the great hope to which You've called us. That despite the reality of these dual sins in our lives, there is a Redeemer who is sufficient in His power and His love to rescue us. May all who are here today, and particularly those who feel discouraged, be strengthened by the message of grace and hope that's in Your Word. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. This story, the story we just read, is a story about ownership. 
It's a story about ownership. And the reason I say that is if you look at the stories in Luke chapter 15, they're all about someone who, someone who owns something that then is lost and then is found. Um, it says uh, in verses 3 through 7 that there's a story of a shepherd losing a lamb. Uh, and he goes to great lengths to rescue that lamb. There's a story in the next passage, verses 8 through 10, of a woman losing a coin, and she searches her whole house desperately to find that coin. And when she finds it, she celebrates, like you and I do when we lose our wallet or we lose our phone, and we go to great lengths to find it. Well, that's the experience that this woman had when she lost this coin. And then finally, we have this story of the lost son. But as we know, it's not just the story of one lost son, it's the story of two lost sons. And I want you to imagine yourself in turns with each of these brothers as we talk about their stories. The story of the younger brother and the story of the older brother. But I also want you to imagine yourself as the father who's lost his possession, who's lost his sons. Watch how the father will go to them in turns. Because this, this love that the Father has for the sons is, is the reason we go to the college campus. It's the reason that RUF exists. It's the reason that Redeemer exists. It's because we herald the Father's love for lost sinners on the college campus. Just like y'all herald the Father's love for the lost sinners in the city of Jackson. That's why you push in, isn't it? In both directions, in every direction. It's because of this Father's love. Where are you today as you think about the Father calling you home? Because that's our message. That's our message as a church. It's our message as campus ministers. And it's our message as pastors. Where are you today in how the Father is calling you home? And will you come home? So first, let's look at the lost younger son, verses 11 through 24. Let's look at that story and put ourselves in those shoes. Uh, it says in verse 12, the younger son comes to the father and says, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. Um, we could say in a way that he's saying, Father, I, I, I wish you were dead, and if, if you could just give me that inheritance that I would receive when you die, then I would be happy, then I would be okay. I want to have all the things that you've saved for me without anything to do with you. That's the, the tone of what the younger son asked the father. We're given no backstory to this, but some of you may have this relationship with your parents where it's, it's been tense and it's been hard till finally you're saying, you stay here and I'm, I'm leaving. And that's what the, the younger son does. It says that the, the father honors this request, and it says he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. He took a journey into a far country. Now, now for a moment, uh, imagine with me what the younger son is after. Why did he want his father's inheritance? We know that he doesn't want the, the father with him, but what is it he wants in his place? Well, it gives us a clue here that he goes in this far country and it says he's squandered his inheritance with reckless living. 
This wasn't him going to a far country to get a job and to create a new family, a new place. Uh, This wasn't responsibility. Uh, This wasn't what many students do when they go to college and they they move on. It may feel like that to us as parents, right, when they they move off. But they actually have their sights on that which God has created them to do, to take dominion, to to learn a trade, to to create a new family. And as painful as that is in in a family, it's good and it's right. But here, that's not what the younger son wanted to do. You see, the the younger son believed that he could find happiness and satisfaction by breaking the rules. That, at its core, was what he thought would bring him happiness. If I just break the rules, if I'm just autonomous, if no one has any demands on me, then I'll be happy. And that's the reason for the distance, and that's the reason for what he engages in. We're... We're not sure of this because this is the older brother later in the story accusing him of this. We're not sure if this is true. Um, but he says that he squandered, the younger son squandered his, his uh, father's living, his father's inheritance with prostitutes, with sexual immorality, with, with basically taking and not giving, with an experience in which you take and there, there's nothing you have to give in return. And isn't that at times what we think will make us happy? If I just had more time off, if I just didn't have the demands that my wife or my husband places on me, if I just didn't have my parents asking all these things of me, if I didn't have to do school, if my boss was just easier on me, then I'd be happy. And it's the story of the younger son. And, and what we have to ask ourselves, I always use this illustration uh, because it, it's one that speaks to me, is we have to look into that mirror of Erised. Some of y'all know the, the story of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Well, in the story of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, there's a trap. There's a trap that Dumbledore and the other faculty at Hogwarts put in order to protect the Sorcerer's Stone that all the, the villains are trying to get their hands on. And it's this mirror of Erised. And the reason that it's a trap is that it, people will become entranced when they look into it. And what they become entranced with what they look into is because it not only reflects back to them themselves like a normal mirror, but listen to this. This is what Harry and Dumbledore discuss when Harry discovers the mirror. Um, Harry says, does this mirror show us what, just whatever we want? Um, and Dumbledore says, yes and no. It shows us nothing more or less than the deepest and most desperate desire of our hearts. It shows us nothing more or less than the deepest, most desperate desire of our hearts. You, for instance, Harry Potter, who have never known a family, when you look in the mirror, you see them standing all around you. And some of you can relate to that, can't you? Where maybe you haven't known a family's love, and when you look into the mirror of your deepest desire, that's what you long for. But for Ronald Weasley, who's always been overshadowed by his brothers, he sees himself standing alone, best of all of them. However, this mirror will give us neither knowledge nor truth. Men have wasted away before it. Isn't that an interesting picture? That people have literally starved looking into this mirror, entranced by what they have seen, or been driven mad, not knowing if what it shows is real or even possible. So as you and I stare into this mirror this morning, what do we see back? And if we're like this younger son, then we're sort of like Ronald Weasley. We've always been overshadowed by others. We've always felt overlooked in a family. And what we want is independence. What we want is freedom. What we want is something that will always say yes and never say no. But as uh, Proverbs tells us, 
with sexual immorality particularly, it says this in Proverbs 23, 27, a prostitute is a deep pit and an adulteress is a narrow well. Isn't that vivid? As one, I I personally feel very quickly claustrophobic when it uses those images for sexual immorality and says that a prostitute is a deep pit and a narrow well. I I begin to feel the room closing in on me and it's intended as that. that. That this experience that promises pleasure, this experience that promises freedom, it it actually gives us confinement. It actually imprisons us to misery. Uh, This far country is a metaphor for that sin of rebellion. With a group I spoke to recently about this, I used the character sketch of Kevin, and this is us. Some of you may have watched the TV show, This Is Us. There are triplets in that uh, show, and it's a family portrayed, and Kevin is the, the firstborn, and he is the one who seeks satisfaction in freedom. He seeks satisfaction in not being called to do anything. And it leads him down this painful road of addiction till finally, uh, as his story goes on, he's in the front yard of a woman in whom he's seduced because he wanted to get her pain medications because he's addicted to pain medicine and he's crying out in her front yard saying, please help, please help. That is a picture of this younger son and where his sin takes him. It says here that the land in which the younger son went to, a severe famine arose. So not only does his money run out, but the land itself does not provide any sustenance. And it says that he was longing to be fed with the pods of the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Just like Kevin, and this is us. Please help, anyone help. I don't know what to do. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you that if this is you, If that is your desire to break all the rules and to find satisfaction apart from rules, that there's hope for you. Because when you hit that dark place, maybe you're in it now, what the Gospel of Luke and what all the other Gospel accounts tells us is that there's hope. You see, because the story continues in verse 17, it says, And when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I'll arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But this is the the turning point in the story. So, So much so that I have a hard time getting through it. But while he was still a long way off with his I'm sorry story, the father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Brothers and sisters, this is where we have to think of ourselves. Because when you're filled with shame and you're thinking, I've hit rock bottom, I'm in a dark place in which there's no way out and there's no hope, this is what tells us there is. There is. That as this younger brother returns with his I'm so sorry story, what he receives is not just a hired servant's wages. What he receives is his father saying, I love you and I'm so glad you're back. I'm so glad you're back. That's what he receives from his father. Not the I told you so speech. Not his arms crossed saying, didn't I say that this is what would happen? But he says, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is what we tell students is the gospel. 
This is what's pictured here. The, the robe of righteousness that Christ puts on us that's not our righteousness, but His righteousness. The shoes of peace, of the message of peace that are given to us aren't our shoes, but the shoes of Christ. The fattened calf that's killed for us, that's the Lord's Supper. These are all things portrayed for us in the Gospel that are more real for us than they are for the Son and the story. And that's, that's the good news. That's the news we celebrate. That's the news we proclaim. This is the Father's love towards you and to me. And so that's good news if you're the younger son in the room this morning. But then there's also this story of the older son, isn't there? And it's a little more complicated. And if you're like me, who's like the older son, there are layers to this. And it takes hard work to go beneath those layers. See, it says in verse 25, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he's received him back safe and sound. Now, I don't even need to continue this story for some of you, because you're already feeling that in your gut. You're feeling what the brother is about to say. And what you're feeling is... That's not fair. What you're feeling is, wait, I don't like this story. What you're feeling is, I am going to find happiness by keeping the rules. My younger brother was going to find happiness through breaking the rules, and he got what he deserved. But I'm going to find happiness through keeping the rules, through doing all the right things. And on the front end, that sounds right, doesn't it? Aren't we supposed to cherish God's commandments? Aren't we supposed to live by the light for our path? Aren't we supposed to remember what God has said and keep His rules? Of course. But that's not where the older brother goes off the tracks. It's not that he's keeping the rules and that's where he goes wrong. It's that he thinks in keeping the rules, he'll earn happiness. He thinks that in keeping the rules, his wages will be all the things that he desires to make him happy. But instead, what he misses is the relationship with the Father. Listen to this. It says that he was angry and refused to go in. Some of you may have been at a, a, seen a party or been at a get-together where you've had that emotion, where you're standing outside and you're saying, I can't go in there because I don't share the joy that those people are sharing right now. And it's a very lonely place, isn't it? But what happens as the... the uh, younger, uh, the older brothers having this emotion. Notice what happens. The the older, the excuse me, the father comes out to him and entreats him, and the, the the son says, "Look, these many years I've served you, I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours." It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Listen to that, those words of the older son. And the character sketch I have for him is found also in This Is Us. As you can tell, that's a show I really enjoy. It's from Randall, one of the brothers, one of the younger brothers. They're all triplets, so they're all very close in age. But in Randall's story, he is a businessman, a councilman. Um, he desires control. And he thinks, I'll find happiness if I just control everyone around me. And if I can just exert enough self-discipline, that will make me and everyone else happy. 
But as you can imagine, his, his world starts to crumble as he tries to execute that philosophy on his life. And he's sitting in a counseling office trying to talk to someone about a, a crisis that happened in his life. Uh, in that story, his, his father had died. His father had died in a fire. And the counselor's asking him about this crisis. And what she realizes is that what Randall believed is that if he could have just saved his father from death, that everything would have worked out the right way. And what I want you to consider tonight is if your mind is always going back to what you could have or should have done, then it's possible you're the older brother. It's possible that you've thought, if I just have enough control, if I just have enough self-discipline, then everything will turn out right. Then I can have a party with my friends and have a goat for my father. Isn't that what the older brother's saying? He's saying, I kept the rules, I kept the rules, and isn't it supposed to turn out right if I do everything right? But what the older son was missing and what Randall was missing in the story of This Is Us is that you don't have that kind of control, that you don't have enough self-discipline to make everything go right, that you and me, created in God's image, are dependent on our Heavenly Father to provide for us, and that's a feeling of weakness. And that's a, a feeling of vulnerability, but it's a feeling we must come to the Father with and we must acknowledge. Because what the Father says to the older son is, son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. See, the, the older son had never just asked for this because he sought to get what he wanted through self-discipline and control. He never realized all I have to do is ask. All I have to do is come to my Father because He loves me and He'll give me these things because He delights in me, not because I keep the rules. See, this all comes back to the story of the Father's love. The story of the Father's love. For the, for the older brother, this is a prayer of repentance that he could say. He could say, Father, I thought I could make myself happy through self-discipline. I thought if I just exercised enough self-control, I could master my own fate. And people would see and then love me in return. But this has not worked. And it's only led to bitterness and malice. And now I seek you only for the mercy and love you have for me in Christ. Here's the prayer the, the old, younger brother could say, Father, I thought happiness could be found through independence and consuming and using whatever means I, I, I could find for my own pleasure. And if no one tells me what to do and no one requires anything of me, then I would be happy. But instead, I'm in a dark place with no resources. But in both cases, the younger son and the older son, for both you and me, there's hope. Because what Jesus says in Mark chapter 2, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. The father's love seeks the younger son in the faraway country and the older son in the nearby field. Both are lost. Both are equally lost. But the father's love comes out to both of them. And isn't that what you and I both want? My, daughter, my wife is teaching in kindergarten class in nearby school. And she was teaching one day and there was one boy who was having a lot of trouble, David. And at one point, he, he threw a tantrum. He threw the markers down. He crossed his arms in defiance and said, no. And my wife, very sternly, as you can imagine, some of their teachers in the room, walked to the door and she said, David, come here now. And he knew he was in trouble. And he got up and he walked to the door and they walked outside. And the first thing she does is she kneels down and she looks him in the eye and says, are you okay? 
And she said, he just dissolved in tears. Brothers and sisters, that's the picture of the Heavenly Father you and I want. The one who disciplines us, yes. Secretly, we, we honestly won't discipline, but it's discipline and love. It's a discipline that looks us in the eye and says, are you okay? This is what we have in the gospel. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, excuse me, chapter 4, it says this, God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, who God the Father is is demonstrated for us in who Christ is. And so when Christ comes and says, I came not for the righteous but for sinners, He is showing us the grace of the Father. And He's not only showing us the grace of the Father, but He's showing us that we belong to Him by faith. That belonging is the, the note that we return to in this story. It's not only about mercy, that God is merciful, but that He calls us to belong to Him by faith. That's the call of Redeemer. That's the call of RUF. Belong to God through faith in Christ. That's what captivates us about Mandalorian, isn't it? It's because it's this bounty hunter who travels the world who's so tough, and yet this small child belongs to him. Where he goes, uh, the child goes. The child stays with me. That belonging. Do you realize today that you belong to your Heavenly Father? That it's not a matter of just pleading with Him for grace and mercy out of a sense of His grace and mercy. That is abundant, but it's belonging. It's that through the blood of Christ, you now belong to your Heavenly Father. And our Heavenly Father longs for us. We all relate to that story of the Father because we know as parents that that's how we would treat our children, isn't it? That we would beckon to Him, that we would plead for them. And this is the posture and the stance the stance that the, the ground we want students and people in our churches to have, that they know that in Christ and in the covenant of grace, we belong to our Heavenly Father. And His words to us are like the words of the Father in this story. Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. Daughter, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. May by the Spirit's work in our lives, we hear that today. Let's pray for that. Father, I thank You that Your Spirit works these things in us. I thank You that You mediate the presence of Christ for us so that we at times can even feel this sentiment, feel this fatherly care. And I pray that wherever we're lost, whether it's in a nearby field or a faraway country, that we would see the Father coming out to us and beckoning us to come.